Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. (laughs) Well, I am thrilled to say that on this fine Monday morning, I am joined by Dr Ian McRitchie, the founder of MCR Pathways, a school-based mentoring programme which currently supports, get this, 3,000 disadvantaged young people across Scotland each week. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ian, for being here on The Bra and the Brave. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit about the MCR story. It really is like wonderful. And it, like I was saying to you before we came on to the podcast, um, I actually was aware of MCR Pathways because um, a friend of mine was a mentor. So when you got in touch, I was like, yes, we have. So like why I had never thought about doing this already, not reached out to you. So I'm so, so glad we've made this connection. So I was trying to think about how we get into this. And I'm always kind of interested in the journey. So if I can take yourself back for a second to um, your own education setting where you were in the world who you were as a young person um to just get an insight of what maybe inspired you to create MCR Pathways yeah well you're taking me back this is this will be therapeutic but you're taking me right back to (laughs) to school days so I I guess the best way to describe it is I I wasn't really interested in school my parents were from the western Isles, so they moved to Glasgow so I sort of felt like an, an immigrant almost you know in terms of split communities um, but I mean, that it, it was a fabulous upbringing, but I was passionate about sport. So I managed to get actually played professional football when I was 16, 17. Right. My peak moment was getting paid 20 quid a week by Clyde FC. And I think I had two people shouting at me from the stand. So sport was my passion at that point. Um, now, I was good, but I wasn't that good. And actually, I really, really remember, and this, this has stayed with me ever since, I would come up against players who were much better than me, but didn't make it. So I really got quite fascinated with the difference between talent and actually the ability to make it or the opportunity. So answer your question. I went through school. Um, My parents were super keen that, you know, I progressed to university because they hadn't. Um, And I really didn't work hard at all um, and managed to sort of stagger into um, Strathclyde University. So I was born in Glasgow, schooled in, in, in comprehensive school in Glasgow, and then university, but staggered in. And I really get found out in the first year. And that was a sort of defining moment for me because I, I got technically kicked out because I hadn't attended for quite some time. Got you. Um, but that really then got my focus to, to I need to do something. So I stuck into business. And I think this defining moment was actually, it was just as I was coming out of university thinking about what I would do. And, you know, I I talked to so many young people. When did you know when you were going to do what you're going to do? Well, I I didn't, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not sure anybody does, actually. I keep asking people, what do I do when you grow up, even if you're 40? It doesn't matter. Um, But I knew it was business. Um, But then I got into a real fortunate break because I I ended up going to work with um, a small company in East Kilbride Uh and tiny. I was employee number 13 Um, and I just got stuck into it, you know, got stuck into it, really enjoyed it, enjoyed the camaraderie. It was a good team. 
Um, and I managed to work my way up such that I was running it within a few years, in fact, oh. two, three years. And I came up with an idea, and that idea um, was then became a bit of a passion in itself. And the idea went international, believe it or not, it was a product. Um, we eventually went worldwide with it. You know, and that company now to this oh. day, I think it's got about, I don't know, 2,000 employees or whatever it is, based on the same sort of idea that we came up with. Oh. So. Long story, you could say, well, what's that got to do with MCR? But what I what I found is I didn't have a goal, but then I had one. Yeah. And that goal for me was to want to progress in that organisation. I then had the idea, and it was a case of a bit of imagination, but actually, why not? So that organisation, on reflection, was made up with, you know, it's a world-class company now, but it was made up with, what, just local people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a bit of talent, a bit of potential, but they, and really we just posed the question, why not? You know, and that team, ex, they, they achieved extraordinary things, way beyond what people expected in terms of our growth. So I was a way across setting up in America and, and all sorts of, of chaos um, that we ended up um, managing <laughs> ourselves through. But what I took out of that experience was talent, and bear in mind I had it in my football, Talent and potential is two different things, you know, and or, or talent and potential is one thing, but actually realizing it, um, there's a bit of chemistry of having a goal or using an imagination and, and yeah. then asking why not. So I merely pursued a business career, you know, and but because of my parents and I guess upbringing, um, I always recycled a bit of my ill-gotten gains um, into social causes. Yeah. So if you like, I was, I was, Two different lives you know there was progressing yeah. business but actually um my mother in particular in my year of put it back in you know and make sure that you and i, I guess I, I i kept doing that but two different lives but what happened is after my first organization first business it really grew so quickly it attracted a lot of people who wanted to buy into it or invest in it and and eventually it was sold um, and it was sold to um, a PLC, quite a big organisation. Um, and I went in to work with them, but they, without quoting the name, I shouldn't because not that I'll be sued, but you know, I shouldn't quote the name. Could you be but, getting my podcast cancelled? <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try my best. To, but let's say they were in a bit of trouble for the want well, of a yep. better description. Yes. So I had a really good business. They bought it, but then I discovered that they were in trouble. So I was like, right, okay, what, you know, what, what am I going to do here? And that's when I had a choice to either go and help sort them out or, you know, just put my head in the sand. So I, I, I love a challenge. That's another sort of dynamic, you know, mm-hmm. love a challenge. And I went in to work with them to try and sort them out. And that's when I got a bit of a reputation of sorting out failing organisations. Now, it took years. But between you and I, it was really, really simple because it's not about numbers. It's about humans. And it's about the team and the management. So all that mix of stuff, um, Lisa, really, for me, at that point in my sort of early 30s, at some social causes, I was... Um, had a team of drug addicts and you know some ex playing football so it gave me a chance to play again I mean by that point in time my knees were knackered but you know at least I could come up to because I moved to I moved to I live in the southeast of England it's ridiculous you know when I was when I was living in Scotland I used to travel to work in London 
And then I moved 20 years ago, just under, to the southeast of England, and now, ridiculously, I'm full-time in Glasgow. You know? It's just, well, it's called called stupidity, actually. (laughs) But your passions take you to daft things. Of course. But But the two things kept, you know, are kept separate. So created a bit of a business career out of mm-hmm. sorting things out that were failing. Not an accountant, all about people. Yes. And I got possessed by how come certain people succeed and some others don't. And that really became a passion in itself to say, okay, what what is... But then the world changed for me. And this is really what Creative Pathways has entirely changed. As I get asked to go in and sort out um, three care organizations. Now, I don't believe they should be businesses, you know, should declare that interest. And this was a, you know, it's almost like a personal favor that was asked of me um, right. if I could go in and sort them out. And this was London Investors. It was all English-based and it was 90 residential children's homes, um, five schools, special schools, um, and a foster agency and lots of other sort of things surrounding that. And that's what brought my, if you like, my economic and social worlds together because the organisation was really failing and three of them were failing. Um, You know, they're losing half a million pounds a month. So you could imagine the kind of pressure. But what the organisations were doing was dealing with some really, really difficult situations. And it was all um, local authority Mm. funded young people. Um, meant to be 8 to 18, but it really was 16 to 18-year-olds. Right. And sadly, in some occasions, one-off secure. So, you know, every bit of neglect and, and uh, you know, really, really difficult, difficult situations to deal mm-hmm. with. Um, we sorted out the organisation. So this is what, what started the Pathways journey. Sorted right. it out, and it made zero difference to the outcomes of the young people. Absolutely none. And I was like, how on earth could you get a situation that we've sorted out this organisation, you know, Ofsted were giving us outstanding ratings, you know, in yeah. the, I think we're up to 90 odd percent of our homes were getting outstanding ratings. Yet when I looked at what's happening to the young people mm-hmm. and what would happen in practice is we would help them feel more engaged, you know, we'd actually get them in, involved in um education which i'll come back to so mm. it was like a a, a, a big difference yeah um, in that sense and then what would happen is the system would say move them you know move them to once that they were feeling better move them yeah. to a lower cost option or an alternative option and if you look at it through their lens they're just trading parents you know you're trading and adding instability upon instability so that that now that is a lengthy answer to your first question, but let's say my worlds collided because I yeah. had a business career that was building and sorting out organisations, and mm-hmm. I was being able to fund and support um, some really committed people and other charities, and that was great. But then I was faced with a situation of saying, we've got a system that's bust. We've got a system that's failing young people in the care system. And when I got to know individuals in it, and this is the thing that really flipped me over the edge, I got to know individuals. Then that really exposed my, you know, I've been been very open and honest about this as I always am, but that really exposed how much subconscious bias I had um, about those young people must have had something, they must have done something. 
or contributed, you know, to end up in that situation. Mm-hmm. And what I found is every single young person I spent time with, it was nothing to do with them. Absolutely nothing to do with them. Yeah. And that was like, no. You, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, but that it's just me... walking a mile in someone's shoes, isn't it? Until oh. you think, if it's over there, you think you know it, you think you, you, you've sussed it. And then the minute you meet somebody, it's just opening, it's asking the questions, like you said, it's, it's just the person behind the story, huge, do you know what I mean? Huge, and, and, and that, and I, 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 got, I got almost got broken by that, actually, just thinking, how on earth could you get a system that, you know, got, because our organisation, we got accolades, you know, embarrassingly right. got accolades for, you know, perceived success, and I'm sitting saying, well, I really don't consider that a success, I consider that as an absolute failure, because actually when you push, when you put young people, you help them and then you move them on, you're creating actually a worse situation. You're, you're building instability and instability. So that has started a journey that's been spectacularly filled with failures <laughs> because tried everything possible um, to affect the individuals, you know, to give the individuals what eventually, as I said, my bias was they must have done something, they did nothing. So therefore, let's look at that individual and how can we make sure that they are not defined by their circumstances ever, but by their talent and potential? Because the other thing that really freaked me out is I know they have exactly the same talent and potential as somebody in the leafy West End of any city. city. Now, I'm not sure everybody really understands that, but it's Mm -hmm. just the truth of the matter. So for me, it's, it's one of the greatest injustices how you can have circumstances suppressing, defining, making sure that actually, and conditioning those young people to think yeah. they can't. So started all sorts, you know, did try therapeutic things and they were some of them were brilliant, but no, they'd pay for them. So it's like, all right, okay. Can't. And eventually arrived at, now this is how thick I am, you know, somebody could have probably told me this beforehand, but, you know, eventually arrived at through practice and trying to stuff out and the single thing, and this is the team, it wasn't, you know, original ideas on my part, I'm just putting the pressure to to change things. (laughs) Um, But what I did spot instantly is, and this is the the basis of, of MCR, it's education outcomes, dictate job choices which ultimately dictate life chances so if that's the fact whether i like it or not you know if that's the actual formula of life whether i like it or not we need to focus on education outcomes and that's what we did in the care organization sort of setting is for those that we couldn't get into you know a group situation because they just couldn't handle groups then we we gave them one-to-one support and I, I sort of really began to trigger, to, to, and I saw the profound impact that some staff had in relationships. So if you like, all that cooked in my head to go, actually, I'm, I'm not interested in the numbers, I'm interested in the individuals. And if we can then support each individual through education, and the big thing for me was then, that was residential experience I had mm. with the vast majority of young people are in mainstream schools, you know, rather than, yeah. and that's what I think they should be. So I pitched up then, because I was in the southeast of England, I thought, right, I owe the city of my birth to start there. Now, that was that was one motivation. The second motivation is 
in in life, in my experience anyway, in turnarounds, you don't do the easy stuff. You know, anybody can do that. You know, it's like the consultancy, oh, low-hanging low fruit and, you know, grab that. No. That's not yeah. your bag. No. You're done. But it, it's, <laughs> I've not got enough time. You know, I need to live to about 200 then to go through them. Right, right, right. What you do is you look at the biggest problem, the biggest, the, the elephant in the room that actually everybody knows exists, and you go ravage it and take it down. So if you can take it down, you might die in the process, but <laughs> people will come behind you and go, that was a nutter, but, you know, he or she was right, so therefore, let's Give do it. Give it a good go. Um, and that might be a Scottish Glaswegian trait, who knows, but but for me, it was the greatest. The, the, and that, that's that's where I've had, because I've, I've chaired, um, I've advised over 100 different, you know, companies around the world, actually, and from, from 100 million Pounds worth to, to, you know, a couple of. And mm-hmm. I've chaired 18, again, all around the world. So I, I get the chemistry of change. You know, I get the difference that it makes. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was a case of, right, I just need to go and go up to Glasgow because Glasgow's got some massive challenges. Wit, because that's what gave, gave me the breaks and the chances mm-hmm. and not life's opportunities. Um, and knocked the front door of, you know, and basically told where to go. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I would have probably told me where to go at that point in time because I'm bouncing up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed saying, I've got a form, you know, I've got something that can really work in your mainstream schools. And I think they thought, nutter, you know, I'm not going to let him in a school. But actually, I really admire that. Like, I mean, this podcast is called The Broad and the Brave. I just massively admire, like, you know, obviously, clearly by that point you did all that, that wealth of experience being in many worlds, we're talking big numbers, like you're saying, but that's still super brave to take that idea and move back to Glasgow and present it and go, I think I think this can work. That's hugely brave. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. For me, it wasn't, it was more, it's like when your confidence builds, mm. and this is what I look for in young people, actually, because, you know, as much as I'm saying it's education outcomes, you and I know what underpins an education outcome is confidence and belief. So what I, what I had by going into, and this is, this is why I think, you know, I would never change my experience in a million years because I've gone into organisations and this is, I, I can make, people perceive it to be profound statements, but it's just a statement of fact. Every broken organisation was once a good one. And, you know, people, people sort of forget that and go, mm. eh, eh, what? so actually all I'm doing is going back to go forward. You know, I'm just going to say, yeah. like, what, what was it established for in the first place? Where did it start? To, you know, what were its benefits? What were the positives? You know, look at it from a half-full mindset. Mm. But see, when, see when you do that multiple times over what people perceive, because I did some things that people thought, you know, no way you're going to affect that. You know, that's gone. That's boss. That team's dead. You know, and it's... You're like, and, watch me. Yeah, <laughs> watch exactly. Me. And, and that, that for me was a big motivation. I, yeah. I'll, the motivation mm-hmm. I get most of is when somebody says no. You can't mm-hmm. when you know that's the wrong answer. And for me, in, in the professional life, I'd built up confidence. But actually, I built up confidence in dealing with it with humans, with individuals, because it was never about the numbers. Because for me, there's three points to a change. You need to imagine how it could be, but be realistic with how it is. But then the bit in between the two is fun and entertainment because you just <laughs> get on with it. You know, get on with stuff that can take you to where your imagination has sat, you know, and it's incremental steps. You know, it's not, mm. some people say, oh, yeah, you know, change the world in two minutes. No, you're going to do it step by step. Of course. But if you keep that kind of three-way thing. So for me, I'd built up enough confidence, maybe naively, to go, right, 
I've done that. I've been involved in a few policy things as well, actually. And when the banking crisis came in 2008, I was chairing, um, I got persuaded to chair a group of, it was quite a, a prestigious role, but it was the Institute for Turnaround and Transformation in, in the UK. And because they'd given me a couple of awards. So I think that was probably the basis of the oh. game of the awards to see, right, we'll, get, we'll pull him right, in. Come on now. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. You need, you, need, you need to do something for us. So I was in there as chairman and, you know, meeting the Treasury and because this was a body that represented um, all the, the directors and chairmen that went into difficult situations. Um, so we had something, I can't remember, you know, equivalent of, sort of 10 billion pounds of sales that we were controlling, managing. So it was a, so I was in talking to Treasury about, you know, reforming banking and it was all sort of, con- so I had a wee bit exposure to policy stuff. And how disconnected that can be from what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. So when I came up to Glasgow, I'd spent long enough in the care system to then go, right, understand what policy says it should be. And I've now got quite a good experience of how it is. And I've tried enough stuff in between the two um, that I think I can persuade people. So I failed. <laughs> Back in 2007, I failed um, to persuade but actually, and massively to his credit, I met, maybe a bit of serendipity, destiny, depends what you yes. think. I met a mad head teacher from the East End of Glasgow. And mad is the best compliment I can pay him because he was extraordinary as an individual. And if I chopped him in half, he'd bleed young people and making sure they were never restricted or restrained by where they were born or whatever postcode they arrived in. Um, and that was a school called St Andrew's Secondary in the East End of Glasgow. So what happened is we just played, worked in there for five years with an idea I knew had worked in the residential setting. Um, but St Andrew's was brilliant to start because it's 1,700 young people about 100 are under some form of social work supervision, and you could argue another 300 should be. Um, really, really tough area, but phenomenal talent and energy in it. And that is where MCR was born. MCR Pathways was That's born, incredible. cooked, um, where it didn't work, because eventually, and I'm going to give call out two young people in particular, they know this, but they don't know this. They are actually the authors of it, not me, because most of my ideas they trashed, you know, and just said, no, it's not going to work in this particular setting or for this reason. And it was actually just, um, if I give you the two young people, it was one young person, um, Nicole in particular, um, who was a St Andrews pupil, but she hadn't attended for a year. She had some real family challenges and difficulties. She allows me to share Mm. um, this. Um, And we had engaged her um, in a programme for those that weren't attending school. So this was a bit of outreach. And I'd constructed something with the team. I thought, this is is fabulous. You know, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, And we had 10 young people on it. And I think we managed to to sort of get about seven to re-engage. And she was one of them. Mm -hmm. And it was a debrief that we're sort of talking through just to say, okay, you know, what bit of the programme really, you know, impacted you? You know, what was it? And I'm thinking, right, okay. And she basically was like, you know, deadpan face as who is this nutter? I'm trying to contain my language. I was just like, 
none of that, and pointed to the person, you know, pointed to Donna as it was just saying, huh. And I'm like, and that was the light bulb for me. You know, sort of went back to feel emotional even thinking about it. You know, that, that was a light bulb. Because I'd, I'd had it in the residential setting, but sort of lost sight, no, you know, got the adult thing again, which is the adult brain of initiative, program, solution. Yeah. She absolutely nailed it for me of just saying, it's nothing to do with that. That's all nice. It's a person. Mm-hmm. And when you unpicked it, all I heard was cared, trusted, believed in me, all that kind of stuff. And that for me was, that was it. No question, that was it. And then Liam, another who, who I mean, a brilliant story, because he was four years behind in his education when he hit secondary in St Andrews. And again, it allows us to share this. Mm-hmm. And effectively had, and he didn't know this, but he had 13 different house moves before he even got because of the trauma and issues that were going on. So you can imagine the instability. His wee sister was doing his homework, um, and she's four years younger. You know, it's... yeah. And he was coming to school to be fed. That that's that was the issue. He was at least attending, whereas Nicole wasn't attending. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I bring it right up to date, he went through a program, but he effectively ended up going to college, going to university, <laughs> getting his graduate job, you know, and he's now um, a building surveyor. And if you like a little trigger talent taster, but again, just supported by, and the, the thing that I love the most, he's back as an MCR mentor. Yes. So this is, I mean, this for me is real ripple effect, you know, and uh-huh. this, uh, I, I, I cannot get any better, you know, if I give you the satisfaction rating of, you know, turning a business around, yeah, oh, buzz, go, achieve, fan, you know, fantastic, making a bit of money, and I, I respect the fact I have choice, because I've made some money, but, you know, tick bot, yeah, this is on a different planet, this is on a different planet in terms of, you know, satisfaction, energy, purpose, life, whatever it may be, it's a different mm-hmm. planet one person puts you on a different planet. So Liam and Nicole really shaped it. For me, it was like, right, we need to have one-to-one relationships in which those young people can trust as part of the education system. So in the school, um, because, and again, it wasn't my idea, because my idea was originally to have it in the community. And there, you know, and Nicole, again, I can't have it in the community. I hate school. But school is the only place, actually, when you boil it down, that you are an individual and thinking about a different future, you know, thinking yes. about potentially different futures. Yes. So for me, it was like no brainer. That is what we need to do to have it in, inject it into the education system. And for five years, that's what we did in St. Andrews to cook it with some fabulous people, brilliant committed staff. Um, and then I had the choice you know, the choice of when you know something works, you know, and I'll give you one stat, you know, when we first started in, and again, this is not me, this is the young people doing it. We first started in St. Andrews, 31% of the young people who were in the care system or on the edges of it were progressing to university, college or employment. Fifth year, 75% were progressing to university, college employment. It's ridiculously effective. I mean, it's just not how effective it is. And it's it's just human. Now, yeah. the process, and there's, you know, we have to comply as we did, you know, with education standards, what, you know, social work, everything is now, you know, complied with. But at the heart of, and I do sort of paint the picture of a storm, those young people live in a storm because of what's going on at home. And, you know, if, if you and I shared, you know, personal information as in, 
when we have personal problems, it affects our ability to concentrate. When, when you know the individuals, you go, I, 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 I'm in awe of Correct. their resilience. Absolute Correct. awe. So that, that instability at home, all we're trying to do is compensate for it, but again, give them that person. And we found through a lot of trial and error, because loads, I mean, I am. I, I keep saying to people, I'm world-class at knowing what doesn't work. You know, I could, <laughs> I could, write, I could write books upon books of what doesn't. That's done. so important, though. <laughs> it's so important to talk about failure. That you've mentioned it several times, and I really, really admire that. And I think a lot of people would really appreciate that you're saying, yeah, because all, all the accolades and all the success and all the, you know, the, the numbers, but it's taken, it's a process, and it's a process of failing to then learn what works and what doesn't work. And, and, and I, you know, I, I bring in the social media criticism of, you know, everything, everything's bright and shiny. You know, it's not. It's that my ratio still is, if I share a secret, you know, with, with the listeners as well, <laughs> my ratio is still nine to one. I still get nine no's and rejections to every, irrespective of what I have done in the past and irrespective of what the potential I could do in the future. That's the ratio. You know, system says no, computer says no. My best story, actually, um, and and it, it really defined the moment for me. I was in London, Savoy Hotel. Um, I had no idea, but subsequently I was nominated for two of the four awards. It wasn't that many, but many awards. Two of the four awards. Um, I probably was had a wee bit too much wine because in my ear was a situation I was about to take over that was about to go bust. So there's the magnificent moment for me personally of and I, I got the awards mm. with the knowledge that next day I could be I could be the <laughs> front page news of, you know, because uh, it was UK Turnaround Professional of the Year, right? How about that for a laugh? Wow, right. So I got a hotel, I, I got it, and then the next day it could have been, and his next business, and it didn't matter that I hadn't taken it on. No. But the fact it was within a heartbeat, it was within about a couple of weeks of running out of cash, and nobody had known that. So for me, these these moments are, you know, they're, they're defined. They really do define your character. Mm. This is about, you know, sustainable change. This is about, it's not about just a little snapshot, look at me, how great. Failure is part of the mix. In fact, I would say if you haven't, you've missed out a massive amount of learning and opportunity. Absolutely. Massive amount. But my choice at the end of that five years um, was when you knew you had something that worked, and you could imagine it working across the country, then yeah. you get your own bluff called of saying, well, go on with it then. <laughs> so I had no choice in 2014 to effectively, um, and some people still think I'm not so doing it, but to just I stopped doing business. I said, I'm going to devote my full time and attention to this as a volunteer because, you know, it, it had to be, just seem to be for the right thing because I'm asking mentors to volunteer, you know, for no other reason you care. Well, I'll do the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and really then go on the journey of taking it from one school through the multiple chaos of, <laughs> of the education system of, you know, blah, blah, blah. But again, met so many. I've not, I mean, I couldn't do any of this unless I'd met so many committed and as passionate people. And that's the power of any change, I think, you know, it may, it may start with a bit of imagination with one person, but people getting behind it. So we can change the world. I mean, there's no question. We are changing the education system. We, not me, because what do I know about it? Nothing. We're changing it because people are going, yeah, we could we could put a one-to-one -one relationship for those young people and just sit it alongside and inside the school. 
And so when they need some time out, yeah, great, we need some support. So we've got a member of staff in every school, you know, full-time member of staff as well as the, the mentors. And they support the young people as well, but a time out, but additional group work, but additional things just to compensate for what they're not seeing or getting at home through no fault of anybody. There's no judgment attached to this. It's just, no. guys, make it happen. So we're at 3,000, as you say. You know, we've got Scottish Government commitment to get to 15,000. Um, and I'm now, thankfully, been able to get home a bit more because we've got English schools taking on. So we'll go across both countries. And as far as I'm concerned, there's no limit to the numbers because it's just about individuals. I want individuals to be supported. I'm stunned. I'm flabbergasted. I think it's amazing. It's so important work because, you know, I, I'm in schools a lot and I work with teachers and I, and I understand the role that teachers have. And I've met so many amazing teachers, but they have so many things on their plate yeah. that to have that designated person in a school that's just for you, that you can go to, that, that isn't your science teacher or isn't your English teacher, but just that person that you can go to to have that conversation and just be supported. And, you know, I was in a school the other day there and the young people were being encouraged to stand up and kind of share their work. And um, one young person was looking like they were desperate to do it, but just wouldn't give them themselves permission. And we were saying, there's no pressure, you know, you're more than welcome to get up and you could see it in his face yeah. you know and we were like we believe in you you know we we're just saying that to the class generally like we believe in you anybody that wants to and then he just out the blue said um how do you believe in me if i don't believe in me yeah yep. it's that kind of stuff you know and working in the arts like i'm really privileged to go into so many situations when i meet young people and whether that hour or whatever you're spending with them takes them away from what's going on in the outside world great but also that you hope that and, and giving them that kind of ownership over something that they're creating and just say, look at the talent and the ability. Your ideas are great. That hopefully there's just that wee nugget, that wee spark of like, maybe I can. Yeah. Why not me? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's, I mean, the, 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 I, I, I paint so many pictures, you know, I've actually had a few pages, but if I could try and help people understand, you know, at a policy level, what this is, it's two banks of a river and there's a very fast flowing deep river. You've got the bank of where everyone is at, if you're talking about disadvantage or whatever, and you've got opportunity. We need to bridge it. The only way to bridge it isn't chucking money or professionals. There's a place for everybody. It's relationships. And for us, the bridge has got three spans. And this is our mentoring in a nutshell. The first span to take the young people from where they are towards the opportunity is about listening to them, is getting out of your head and into their head if you can. It's listening. And the, the irony with this is it, there's some phenomenal benefits to the mentor as well. So some of your listeners, potential mentors, this resonates with organisations now in terms of skills and you know the whole post-COVID stuff. But the first span actively listening to the young person you know building then is a towards the second span of empathy you know empathy mm. empathy is one of the most powerful powerful leadership and management skills to get full stop but genuine empathy you know of, of relating to coming out your own head you know those two things for a young person you have to do first you've got you've actually got to listen to them first let them take control adults shut up sit back let them express themselves, build up that trust, that empathy, before then you get to the third span of, okay, the coaching or 
the why not, or mm. now the sequence of those three things is immensely powerful. It's ridiculously powerful. I don't underestimate how difficult it is to do at scale, but that's mm. what we're that's what we're doing. You yeah. know, I've done three business startups. I know the journey between you know five and five thousand people. It's chaos, but it can be done. You know, it can be done. Systems can be changed. But if we just keep those young people center of it, let them genuinely tell us what is and what doesn't work for them and build towards it, then we can have volumes of, I mean, the, the amount of, if I take my last mentee, and I, I, and I, my, my last mentee has gone from, you know, a homeless unit when she's 15 in school. And by the way, she chose to live in the homeless unit for a year. And that gives you the contrast of where she was before. Um, yeah. She has progressed now to medical school. Now, it's just an example. It's a ridiculous example. Now, I could go back and people would say, oh, well, that's because you knew about mentoring. And you See, when you ask her, what made the difference? Nothing to what I thought. <laughs> so, so obviously all my techniques were like, well, I'm not a rubbish. You know? <laughs> Single thing is I kept pitching up and I listened you know, I listened to when she had doubt, when she lacked that confidence. Go back to that example you shared of that young person. It's a perfect example. It's not about the opportunity. It's about what did they think? Where are they at? And we need to go to where they're at, okay. not assume or dictate or whatever it may be. And the, the, the beautiful thing is as soon as we do that, it's just like a flower. It's like a blooming flower. It becomes a, a garden, a forest, you know, whatever you want to say. It just, it's yeah. like, it could be, and we can do this at scale. You're spot on about, I mean, like it's, it resonates massively about the work that I do, just working with young people. And I love it when you go on with a plan and then they just totally chuck it out the window <laughs> and you're like, great, I know nothing. You're absolutely right. Let's do this. Why I never thought of that. That's a brilliant idea. Thank you so much. And it is that listening, you know, and, and that's a skill in itself that, you know, if you are privileged enough to work with young people, that that is something you you need to develop over time. And then you realise that you aren't be all and end all and that you don't know it all and that you should be continue to learn. doesn't matter how long you've been in your profession, whatever you're doing when you're working with young people, that you can learn from them just as much as they're learning from you. And it is that time and space and just shutting up and just listening and yeah. just... And like one of the very first things that I always do when I'm working with a new group is a trust game. Because I'll always say we can't have fun if we're not going to trust each other. We're all in this together. We're a team and that your ideas and your experience is totally valid. And if you're saying to me that you're nervous or whatever, I'm not going to poo-poo that. I'm not going to go, oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Oh, because that's, that's really real to you. And I guess on this scale, the work that you, you know, the MCR Pathways are doing, that's in a whole other life. I'm just talking about in a dance class. I'm talking about yeah. somebody's life here. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. all the things that are going on at home. And and yeah, it's just that listening and that connection. And that's why I do this podcast. It's just people like, people are great. Yeah. And you, if you just sit down with somebody and have a conversation, the stuff that you can learn, not only about the world, but about yourself and your own biases and things that you should really relearn. Uh, massively. Because the other insight that, that sort of freaks me out is, Life is you just, you know, you've you, it, everything narrows. You know, the older you get, the narrower it becomes because your groups of friends naturally narrow down to. And what's happening is the conditioning, you know, and, and even at a career I've had, I just narrow down and, you know, you believe what you say to yourself and you just get conditioned. To come out of your head is such a blessing. And to go into another person's circumstances 
and have a relationship of trust of that. You know, I have, there's no question, I have learned a thousand times more in my experience of MCR Pathways than I've ever learned anywhere else. You know, and that's talking about working with world-class people, world-class organizations, not in a scale of this. The scale of this is just is is immense. And the sense of of well-being that you get from (laughs) the sense of energy, you know, that kind of buzz that you've talked about, you know, that that when you do it, because what we ask our mentors to do a minimum of a year, you know, for a period of week. Mm-hmm. So school term, you know, it's 30 odds, whatever it is. Um, so it's pretty light touch. And that that's the rhythm, you know, of now having run it for 14, 15 years, you know, that that's the rhythm of MCR mentoring is we find mm-hmm. a year gets to a point. Now, ideally, we want, we'd love to, but it can be, you know, as the young person gets older, because the model, the way it works is our full-time member of staff supports the young people when they come up from primary school. and then deliver group work in first and second year. And that's all fun stuff. You know, it's all confidence building, engaging, but then really, again, on the issues of trust and relationship Mm. and all those things. And they then get matched with a mentor in third year. And that's the critical year, you know, when every young person goes nuts anyway, irrespective of (laughs) their circumstances. So that that kind of period a week for a year, because that, whether I like it or not, and I wouldn't criticise it, you know, Subject choices are made then. You could argue life chances are made then. It's quite young. You know, it's pretty bloody young to be doing it at that age. However, is what it is. And to think, like, the pressures that are on young people nowadays, like, as compared to, like, even when I was at school, do you know what I mean? Like, we didn't have, like, the internet. We didn't have social media, you know. And then on top of this, it's like, and now you've got to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're in third year. Yeah, absolutely not. Ah, just a lot to contend with, aside from the fact that then you have got people with really really challenging like you're saying home lives that some people just could never imagine and it is that walking a mile in someone's shoes to then understand why somebody might not be turning up or when they do turn up they might be acting up and it's just like and and that that everybody learns in different ways as well like and if you've just feel like you've got somebody listening to you and just that your ideas and your opinions are valid that can just take so much pressure off Oh, totally. And and then it's just about, you know, so our, our sort of process of mentoring, as I said, the first bit is get to know you. So if you become a mentor, you know, that first stage, get to know you. Second stage, build a relationship. But the third stage then is what we call goals and experiences. You know, it's just in a goal, this can be anything. Tie your shoelaces. I don't care. It's just the case of, can you imagine something? Go back to where you are, steps in between the two. You know, it's, the, it's the, these three parts again. But as soon as you get a goal, it's then go and experience it. So we put on what we call talent taster programs, which is just half day, you know, supervised visits, go and see. So if you're a young person, say, right, why try that? Or your mentor thinks, why why not? Why not try that? And it's a case of, right, go try it. We don't judge. So you either, I don't care if you like it or dislike it. It's just Mm. we've gone through that thought process. That, when it it clicks. So my my story of Liam, you know, the, the four years behind, what he came back to is he liked doing stuff with his hands and he liked construction. And that was... Now, it was a bit of escapism for him, um, but construction, so what we did in that case is like put him onto a construction taster. There's a case of, yeah, I quite liked it, and then followed on with another little taster in college of what the courses might be like, blah, blah, blah. And that was a spark. So, you know, story, as I said earlier, he's now a building surveyor. So, you know, he went through that process as an absolute passion and spark just created from those little moments. So we try and flood that moment with choice, you know, not, again, 
criticism of any system is it's like now now's your time for work experience, right? Go out, there you go, you know, find somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got a week at it. And I know as an employer, you're going, oh man, I want to be doing it, but third day, we're dead, you know, fourth day, what are we going to be doing? Fifth day, <laughs> no chance. That whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and what do you what do you learn out of that? So that that whole thing is and to be fair, you know, developing young workforce, Scottish government, all, they, they know that doesn't work. You know, council that doesn't work. So our talent taster model is is being pursued, you know, in other areas. And again, for me, it's just, it's straightforward. Give the young people choice, give them an informed choice, go try it, don't judge it. And, you know, you might get a spark. And if, if you do, you do, but you're just painting a picture of a different future. So fundamentally, even don't like it, because some of our young people, whether we like it or not, and I think we're we're underestimating the impact of this, you know, are, are in an area and don't go out that area. And mm-hmm. as a mental constraint as well as a practical constraint, yeah. what I've found is that even the ability to go, in, to, to go on a bus into town, I mean, this might sound ridiculous, mm-hmm. um, is, a, is, is an experience. You know, it's, course, we, yeah. we just do not know what happens behind closed doors. Um, and how communities are, because we've got a fabulous looking city, 10 times better than it was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but some of these th- areas are still locked. You know, I've talked about lockdown and COVID. Some of our communities are locked out, full stop, you know, yeah. and they are not getting the opportunity or the support to be able to access all the kind of things that we know they would love actually and benefit from. You speak so passionately about what you do it's evident that this is what you're meant to be doing oh no question i mean no 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 question if i look at the accumulation and you can you can always like backfill anything you know and sort of retrofit anything but actually if i look at the journey of you know as i share the journey of business and fixing stuff and then concluding that actually it's about people but then it's about that gap between talent and opportunity and then when you put that on a, on a community level, when you put that on a society level, not just a business level, you go, bloody hell, that's a big gap. But actually it can be bridged. So I, I, the accumulation of my, if you like, economic and um, business journey with my social cause one, and then I will not separate them. Because, that, you know, the other thing I will advocate passionate to government, irrespective of where that government is, is you cannot have economic success without social success and benefit. You cannot. It cannot be separated. Um, you know, if COVID's taught us things, and that's one that's very, very clear in my view, we need both. So that you know, that's the other thing of yeah. you know the polarization of politics and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm I'm never well, say never say never. I don't want to get into politics, but I want to affect it. You know, as in yes. your agendas are diff- your agendas are wrong. You know, we think about economic benefit without equality or sharing or social, and then we go, oh, they're social, and then who's going to pay for it? Combine both. And MCR yeah. mentoring is a classic example. Give me give an example of how, how passionate I'm about MCR mentoring. It originally was the young person that we did this for, and always will be the first, you know, first and end. Mm. But actually, what we found out along the way, and that's why I now know you can combine economic and social benefit, is the benefit in the mentor was often more than the young person. And it wasn't just their sense of well-being, of purpose, of connection, of achieving. It was actually, as we've now got a university course, believe it or not, called Leadership Through MCR Mentoring, wow. is because the skills they've got 
benefit the organization. So I could cruise in to organizations and say, give us, let your staff mentor as volunteers mm-hmm. during the working week. People are like, oh, right. Because I guarantee you, I can give you benefit back. And by the way, you can't buy this training. And the thing I love about it is I've got a young person at the end telling you if you're any good or not. Yes. <laughs> It's an absolute, it's just, just, it just equalizes everything. And as a mentor, you have to accept that. So me as a, oh, I've run large companies. I've, you know, I've been at accolades. No. She's going to tell me if I'm any good or not. Exactly. (laughs) I love that. That's just bringing yourself back down to earth a bit. (laughs) It doesn't yep. matter who you are, nor the accolades. Like you've still got le- stuff to learn, pal. And some yep. <laughs> some young person in a school is about to tell you. That's what I love about your working with young people as well, because they, they will quite often just tell you like it is. <laughs> yeah. And you have to accept it. You have ah. to no, no, but no, but no, but you just say shut up, accept it. That because their perception is reality, and that's it. Mm. And, and there's a seed of everything to be got. So for me, when I when I look at, wait a minute, we're giving benefit to employers. We then look at you know the saving. The social cost saving, and I'm more interested in potential realization, but the social cost saving go, wait a minute, we've actually got a model here that center, the young person's at the center of it, the mentor benefits, the mentor's employer benefits, the local communities obviously benefit, schools benefit, and I'm going, well, everybody's a winner. Why do we not do this? <laughs> and people go, of course, it's, you know, but, but it's really difficult. And I say, yeah, but so what? I'm not that good, and I've run organizations 10 times the size of this. So, you know, as in, 10 times the size of what we ever need to do in Scotland. So it's like, and and there's much better people than me to say, we've got something to work, scale it with integrity. So, of course we can do that. <laughs> if I can imagine it, and there's people that have done it, then, well, what's, what's the problem? You've used the word imagination <laughs> so many times, and it, that is what it is. It's the essence of you had, you let your imagination run wild, and you came up with this idea and you've realized it and that is the power of the imagination and I think that's like it's gifting that to other people to see that you can dream and achieve and and giving them a, a leg up the ladder almost you know like they're standing in front of this ladder thinking I need to reach the top and you're like no no, no you literally just need to go on the first rung and I'm going to be there to help you which is a ma- massive point Lisa I think the word imagination is is sometimes people disengage from it because they go it's like saying creative you know, the disengage and go, well, I'm not creative or I can't imagine it. It's like, no, you can. And it's your your ladder analogy. Just imagine the first rung. You might not be able to imagine the 10th or the top. It doesn't even matter. Go on the first one. So for me, you know, imagination, I may be able to now imagine bigger things, but that's only because I've been exposed to things. You know, I, I would never imagine bigger things. You know, and some, sometimes mm-hmm. it's entrepreneurial stuff of, oh, yeah, imagine changing the world when I was five, you know, or seven. I go, right, okay. I can't relate to that, but, you know, good on you. <laughs> good on you. But, <laughs> but for me, it was like I can imagine something better mm-hmm. because it was always a, a better thing. And then as you get more practice, your imagination gets bigger, you know, and you can start to say, but irrespective of how big your imagination is, then it's all the steps in between the two. It goes back to my three parts. So I absolutely know MCR Pathways can and will have a transformational impact of 15,000 young people per year in Scotland and 50,000 in England. That's the way it's going to be, and I can imagine a way in which to achieve that. Now, will I get there? Maybe, maybe, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I will. Will I persuade others? I hope I can. You know, I'm sure it can get to that because at its heart, this thing works for the individual. Now, my satisfaction isn't in the 50,000 and the 15, it's the individual. 
and I, I know, so I, I can't lose. You know, <laughs> I get satisfaction out of this to every single hour when I think about another young person's got a chance and opportunity and supported to be able to. And the good news is everybody can contribute to this. Everyone can be a mentor. You know, people will say, oh, I need a special skill. Uh, let your ears. If you get two ears, mm-hmm. you've got every skill you possibly need. Listen and care. That's it. We'll take care of everything else you need along the way. Yeah, because I was thinking that there'd, there'd be a lot of myth busting around that, you know, that, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not a mentor. How could I be a mentor? That that word in itself. But like, you've just myth bust that right there and saying like, no, you can, because it's just, it's providing a space for a young it, person. It really is. I mean, people keep, people keep poking and prodding at this. And we've had, you know, independent researchers, you know, for PhDs, everybody pouring into this. You know, from government, from agencies, from whatever. So last one, we had a three, <laughs> we had a, a three-year study, right, in um, the hardest areas in hardest schools in Glasgow, hardest areas in Glasgow, um, to look at the hard attainment data, right. So this is attainment and destinations, as I've described, mm-hmm. and our three-year average of those progressing to university, college, and employment in the care system. Um, national number has squeezed up to 58%, right? So 58%. Uh-huh. I still think it's 50-50 if you look at the purest numbers, but let's call it 58. That's what they said it was. Our three-year average is 81.6%. <laughs> so, look, and it's, it works. It's, it works. It's, it's like, hello, and they go, right, but, and I'm going, no, we're not teaching. Uh, no, we're just hanging out with young people in school, giving them that sense of engagement attachment. But again, it's all about what could you be, might you be, and you can. Why not? Starts off with a why not. Yeah, this I, I will not own that ladder analogy because it came up in the podcast, I think two podcasts ago when we were having a conversation about this very thing, just like giving people space and time just to, to realise their own dreams and aspirations and it's just like you don't... And you might get up to the middle of the rung and, and then want to change rungs, but by the time you've got to the middle... That ladder, you've you've had all those experiences. You've learned what you don't want, what you do want, and it's easier then to start at the bottom of another ladder because yeah. you've been there before. You know what that looks like. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's massive. Like you say, it is a no-brainer, but but the work that must have been involved from day dot to where you are now, like it's huge. Some amount of work, and like you were saying, so many things that have been you know experiments tried and failed, and, but essentially you've powered through because the belief was there, and that I just massively admire that i think it's well it's a, it's a little formula and I'd, I'd love to i mean i'd see this formula is a formula of success for every single person listening to this podcast it's it's and it's in the mcr the mcr values you know mcr stands for because this is what we want for our young people what we want for our mentors what your listeners could really engage and make a difference to themselves motivation you need to start on motivation first but motivation does not last you know, that's the thing. Everybody says, oh, I'm motivated all the time. No, you're not. I'm not. <laughs> so so you know, it, might be, it might be chemical. It might be lack of sleep. It might be too much wine. It might be whatever it is, but I'm not motivated. But motivation is a spark to go do whatever that spark is. But the next thing that needs to kick in is commitment. And commitment to that better version of yourself or the best version of yourself, whatever works for you, because commitment keeps you going when motivation fails or motivation fades. But the last part of the equation is resilience, because the thing that I'm amazed about with adults and with our society in general, unfortunately, you know, it gets me into the political zone of five year terms and all this kind of stuff, is how many times do we start something and then chuck it, you know, quit it, 
How many times has that actually happened? So resilience, our young people have got that in spades because they've had to. But that ability to never give up, you know, and keep going at it. And that combination, if, if listeners can get that combination of, you know, find out what you enjoy, get motivated, get committed to a cause, because I do think purpose is a massive part of life, and then just keep going and accept that, you know, even something even something like MCR Pathways, my ratio is still nine to one. I'm still going to get nine no's to every yes. I've just got to work through the nine <laughs> and have the patience, yes. which I don't have, but, you know, work through the nine, <laughs> persuade you know, patience and persuasion. They've got lots of P's here. Persuade <laughs> and be patient and then power through to that point of yes. And again, respecting everybody has a role to play. And I'm just a small individual um, who has a piece of something that actually works. I want to share with people. I want them to own it. Because for me, you know, there's, there's three parts, you know, three parts of the MCR is we, we, we did it and started with stories. I knew it had to translate into stats because the world... Everything has a number attached to it, mm, mm-hmm. and hence the reason for attainment data and that thing. Yes. Everybody has to benefit, not just one group. But final thing for me, and, it's, and I do say this about MCR, I don't want it to exist in 10, 15 years' time at all because I want it to be owned by the system, by the public. I want it to be publicly owned and just as a natural part of the education system. So people will forget about the nutters and nutters that were involved in it, but actually it just becomes this is just exactly that. Okay, if you if you are in that situation, I've got a model, you know, and maybe somebody will change the name. Who cares? But you know, I'll keep MCR as long as possible to say right. Of course, you just get an MCR mentor. There you go, and that will help you. Ian, I can't thank you for all of your words of wisdom and your insight and your honesty. I think this is one of the most like. <sighs> inspiring conversations that I've been able to have like the insight to your world and what you've built and and obviously you've you know stressed that it hasn't just been yourself that it's, it's been people and it's the faces behind that and the young people and the mentors and your team that you've built over the years but um I massively appreciate that you've given your time to offer up so much wisdom and insight and just joy and passion like it just oozes out yeah I know we're talking to each other over a screen but it's quite clear that you love what you do and um, I massively admire it and I, I hope that people listening to this will then be inspired to to become a mentor and reach out and learn more about MCR Pathways and, and yeah, just get involved in some way, shape or form because I think it's it's extraordinary. It really is. I'll be fabs and, and we are, and I can't emphasize that enough, Lisa, I, I'm just a small person that had an idea that stuck with it and kept going with it and refused to accept no. The people that have come behind me and the people that have gone before me are phenomenal. So the team at MCR is phenomenal, absolute phenomenal. And all MD needs to do is just go on mcrpathways.org and sign up to be a mentor or email to volunteer in some other way and change the world. And for me, they would just make a life-changing experience. They'll actually experience one themselves. All the details will go in the show notes and I'll promote to the High Hills because I think it's Excellent. awesome. Excellent. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I'm aware of time and you are a, a very, very important, busy person. So I'm going to ask you a couple of the hingamajigs. If you yeah. will indulge me, I want you to answer all the questions because you're just so interesting. Um, what does the world need more of? What the world needs more of uh, just builds on is MCR mentally. <laughs> but if I do, I do <laughs> I've got to keep, I've got to keep on, I've got to do a message. I'd actually say, go back to what the world needs leader much, much more of is lived experience to really relate to those that are taking decisions over which they have no clue. 
So, and I would bridge the two. So I think what the world needs much more of is relationship-based bridges because the disconnect between those that's, that talk policy chat and those that live it is massive and increasing. Can you finish the sentence? When I was wee, I... Ooh, when I was wee, I wanted to be a footballer. I wanted to keep a full head of hair, <laughs> which clearly for the listeners, I've got a wee bit left, actually, not, not, not much left. <laughs> and, but no, when I, when I was wee, no question, I was going to be a footballer. And just having that imagination got you on the pitch and got you then into business and got you to NCR Pathways. Yeah, it got me a professional football contract that I had for two years, years before industry de- industry deprived the entire football community of my schools. Mm. Oh, wasn't that good? But as I said, I made it. I got paid 20 quid a week. I think, I think my top wage was 30 quid with a win bonus. God. So when I was wee, I achieved my ambition. Um, but actually, what I really wanted to do was run my own business. That was that was ultimately my. I wanted to do something on my own, for the want of a better description. I always had that, and I probably blame my father because my father had um, a small car business, repair business, and mm-hmm. he 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 started getting to clean cars, and I got paid when I was 11, 12 and all that kind of stuff. And then he really showed me how to do a job properly. As in the last five, it was another key message for me. The last 5% of anything is very lonely because most people have bailed out. But the last 5% of a deal, a contract, a situation, an opportunity is actually when most things are defined. Um, And it's amazing how many people bail out because they get Mm. bored or need to move on to the next thing. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm some of my friends, close friends. So back to my first head teacher, East End of Glasgow, what he calls me is last LMS, last man standing, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I have to say I have followed that through. I used to do that in sport as well as I'd be there. I'd be, be the skill, the skill wasn't that great. So I'd be absolutely passionately determined, <laughs> even in the face of overwhelming odds. <laughs> You wear that badge of pride, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and the question that I do ask everyone on the Brown the Brave is, because it is called the Brown the Brave, what is your favourite Scots word or phrase? Gate laldy. Yes! <laughs> I'd say gate laldy or gone yourself. <laughs> There's a few. The gate laldy part is, again, a good philosophy, which I think is work hard, play hard. I say that to my kids. You know, they, they now really get it. So it's like, you get the right to do one after you've done the other, you know. So yeah. it's, it's like it's like my economic and social. It's a coin. It's two sides of the same coin. So work hard, play hard is the same coin. So when you're in the both sides, get loudy. Love it. I love it. Well, Ian, you certainly get loudy for sure. You've given this your all this podcast episode, and um, I'm just in awe. I can't thank you enough. I wish you every success moving forward with um, just helping and inspiring more young people and and the work is just incredible and I will be as I say promoting it to the high heavens I think it's wonderful what you're doing and I really I I really just can't thank you enough for coming on the Brown the Brave. Oh thank you so much Lisa I really appreciate the opportunity to share and hopefully more people will sign up and more young people will get what they need. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Brown the Brave a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.